Well, uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series, Running with the Horses. Uh, we left off last week looking uh, at the conversation between Jeremiah uh, and God. And Jeremiah, at this point, has been frustrated with all that he's seeing going on in his culture. Um, he's seeing what's going on uh, apart from the people of God, outside the people of God, but he's even getting more frustrated with what's going on amongst the people of God. He was living and ministering in a time where there was a tremendous apathy, tremendous sinful activity, idolatry, and the, and the prophet of God is, is discouraged. He's disappointed. He's frustrated. And as we saw last week, he's even a little bit disappointed that God isn't responding to what Jeremiah is seeing the way Jeremiah thinks that God should respond. So Jeremiah determines he needs to inform God on what God should do. Looking through the lens of Jeremiah's wisdom, he's thinking God might need a little advice, a little instruction. Here's what I would do if I were you, God. And it's that scene that we kind of looked at last week in Jeremiah chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or look above me in the screen. Jeremiah chapter 12 in verse 1. I mean, Jeremiah's frustrated at this point, right? He's like, He's seeing all that's going on, and what was his advice to God? God, just, just kill them. That's how I would handle it. Just wipe them all out. I know these people, right? They, they, they've been, I've been studying their behavior. They've been hearing my words. They're not listening. God, just kill them, is what Jeremiah tells God to do. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. This is what we looked at last week. Yet, I would plead my case before you. Why, why does the way of the wicked prosper? We've all asked ourselves that question. Why do all who are treacherous, why are they thriving? You plant them and they take root, they grow and they produce fruit. You are near in their mar their, to their mouth, but far from their hearts. But you, O Lord, you know me, you see me. You test my heart towards you. Here's what I do, Lord. Put them all like sheep for the slaughter <laughs> and set them apart for the day of slaughter. We saw in this text a lot of what's going on on the inside of Jeremiah. It's kind of what we were unpacking last week. Um, There's a lot going on in Jeremiah, a lot of distractions that were going on in Jeremiah that was causing him to get his eyes off of what God was doing and his eyes were more focused on what was going on around him. And so he, he complains to God and God's response is in verse five, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Jeremiah, you're running the wrong race. Jeremiah, you're focused on the wrong things. Jeremiah, you're comparing the wrong metrics. If you run the race of men on foot and are wearied, 
Jeremiah, how are you going to keep up when things really get difficult? When the heat really gets turned up? Jeremiah, if you can't keep up the race running with men on foot, how in the world are you going to compete with the horses? If you're responding like this in a safe land, Jeremiah, what are you going to do when I bring you to a place that's not safe? How frustrated are you going to be when the heat really gets turned up? I didn't call you, Jeremiah, to race with men on foot. I called you to something bigger than that. Jeremiah, my call upon your life is higher than that. Jeremiah, I've called you to be more heavenly focused about what I am doing and not what they are doing. To be more concerned about eternal matters than these temporary things in the world. Jeremiah, I've called you to do something that you don't have the tools to accomplish on your own. Jeremiah, I've called you to do something that will cause you to fully depend on me to fulfill the purposes of God in your life. That's what we see. Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't have the makeup. He doesn't have the design to run with the horses. The only way Jeremiah could ever keep up with the horses is he needed to be supernaturally empowered by God. Amen. Jeremiah, what I've called you to do, Jeremiah, is not to run the race on foot with men but to lean fully upon me so that when the heat gets turned up and it always gets turned up, you won't get weary and knocked out, but you'll rise to the occasion and you'll run with the horses. I've called you to, turn, to run with the horses and the only way you'll be able to run with the horses, Jeremiah, is to be empowered by my spirit. That will enable you to go further then your strength, Jeremiah, will ever take you. Being empowered by my spirit will inform you greater than your own wisdom and experience would ever inform you. Leaning upon my, my Holy Spirit will empower you greater than your efforts will ever take you. What do we learn from this dialogue between Jeremiah and God? We learn that we are designed to be dependent upon God, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to fulfill what God has called each and every one of us to do. God has called you and I to a task that you don't have the mind for, you don't have the tools for, you don't have the strength for. We are not designed to shift things in the direction of the kingdom of God. It is only God working through us that can accomplish those things. And God calls us to something that makes us completely dependent upon him to fulfill those plans and purposes. That's what Jesus promised his disciples before he left them. The coming of the Holy Spirit will empower them, equip them, John chapter 14, Jesus, prior to his departure, says to his disciples, if you love me, 
you'll keep my commandments. Let's just stop there for a moment. It's not easy to keep the commandments of God in our own strength, right? And then Jesus had this added pressure, man, like, you know, hey, if you love me, they'll do this. It's like, oh man, Lord, I love you, but I don't know if I could pull that off. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, history has shown the disciples up until this point that they are not capable of keeping the commandments and neither are you and I. And Jesus is saying, but, but if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but it doesn't stop there. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm calling you to do something you can't possibly do. Keep my commandments, but I will ask the Father and he will send a helper, the Holy Spirit of God, who will come and complete you and equip you to do that which I'm calling you to do. Oh, okay, this is doable now. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Do you realize what Jesus is saying to his disciples? I mean, these guys are, their world is rocked at this point. They realize Jesus is, is ultimately saying, guys, I know, I, I know you've, got, you've drawn great comfort from the fact that you have walked with me for these last three years, but I'm going away. And everything that you've drawn comfort from is going to change. But I'm not leaving you as orphans. Another will come. Another one like me, God of very God. And he will not walk with you like I walked with you. Instead, no, he will be in you. It is the most intimate of relationship. He will not just be present around you. It will not be just like the, in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit would descend upon a couple of, uh, of, of, of select prophets and, 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 and people in the times of the Old Testament for a season and then lift. No, this would be different. Under the new covenant, as Pastor Frank shared this morning, things were going to change and now the Spirit of God would not just descend upon, but he would come in to you and I. Do you realize that our our walk with God, our journey with God is closer than even what the disciples experienced as they walked with Jesus because the Spirit of God is within us. That just, needs to, that just needs to settle in for a moment. The Holy Spirit of God is within you. Verse 25, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying to his disciples and indeed to you and I today is the Holy Spirit of God. He who is inside you, he will equip you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will bring all that which Jesus has taught into our remembrance. He will walk this walk with us, thereby allowing us, enabling us, and empowering us to keep the commandments of this one that we love. This is the promise of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is the reality of every believer. That when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you and he guides you 
into all truth. What does that mean? That means that if you're, if you're a believer and you've put your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what it is to be doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. Am I the only one? Right? And you have that reminder, like, I don't belong here. What is that? Because that wasn't an issue years ago before I trusted Jesus, but why is it, why am I all of a sudden aware that I don't belong here? Why am I aware that this habit, this practice, this relationship is not good for me anymore? What happened? The Holy Spirit of God is within you and he's teaching you and he's guiding you and he's saying, no, 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 no. This is not what I have for you. I've got something far better. Don't sell out, don't compromise. Don't quench that still small voice in your spirit that says, this is the way, walk in it. Because that's proof that God is in you and he's leading you and guiding you. I don't know about you, but that, that's encouraging to me. Here's what I wanna focus on this morning. At your conversion, you have all of the Holy Spirit within you. You have everything you need to fulfill God's plan for your life. Everything. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything you and I need to accomplish that which God is calling to us to do is possible because you have all of the Holy Spirit within you. When you came to Christ, repented of your sins and, and trusted in his work on the cross as your only means of salvation, you were born again and the Holy Spirit of God took up residence within you and you received all of the Holy Spirit. That's without question. But the question that begs to be answered is did the Holy Spirit receive all of you? That's the question. Not whether you have received all of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He doesn't, he doesn't pour himself out in doses. At conversion, you received all of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You see, it's possible to be a person of faith, to have the Holy Spirit within you, but, but refuse to live a surrendered life, which is what keeps us distracted, which is what keeps us running with men on foot and causing us to be wearied instead of running with the horses. You remember Peter, the, the same one that we just read who said that God's divine power enables us to do all things. Well, Peter had to learn that through some experiences. Jesus tells him, Peter, you're gonna deny him, deny me three times. And Peter's like, yeah, no, that's just not gonna happen. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. But you see, that was said in a very safe environment. That was said in a very 
comfortable atmosphere. There wasn't any real issues going on at that moment. So Peter's like, this is not going to happen, Jesus. Though everybody else betray you, I will not. But the heat gets turned up a notch, doesn't it? The chaos enters in. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is sentenced. And, and what was a, a relatively safe environment moments before is no longer a safe environment as soldiers are gathering Jesus. Kind of reminds you of the words of God to Jeremiah. And if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do? in the thicket of the Jordan. What are you going to do when the heat gets turned up? And as the heat got turned up, we know what happens. Peter crashes and burns and denies his Lord three times. But that wasn't the end for Peter. In fact, it, it wasn't the end for many of the disciples. Peter was not the only one who denied the Lord. He wasn't the only one to turn his back on God. That's the one we have, uh, we, we, we recall. But, but Jesus talked about the fact that when you, when, you, when you smite the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. People were running from every direction. Nobody wanted to be identified with Jesus. Nobody wanted to be, to be identified with this one who was to be crucified. But the heat gets turned up. And Peter denies the Lord. Jesus is crucified. He, he dies and after three days he rises again. He, he appears to his disciples and to many others during that period of time prior to his ascension for 40 days Jesus was very present. Could you imagine what that must have been like by the way? Let's just think of like a wow moment, right? It wasn't like a one-time instant. No, for 40 days Jesus is present amongst them. Luke records this conversation of Jesus to the disciples in Acts chapter one. The book of Acts is really kind of like Luke chapter two. Um, for those who don't know, Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. And so if you read the book of Luke, it's always good to kind of go right from Luke to Acts. Same author, same timing that's going on there. And so he, where, he, he, where he ends with Luke, he picks up, the gospel of Luke, he picks up now in the book of Acts. Verse four of chapter one, while they were while, and while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So it's, at, it's, it's, it's just prior to the ascension, right? And Jesus tells them, listen, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is like, listen, I've been here about 40 days, don't leave Jerusalem because something very special is about to happen, right? The promise is about to happen. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. You see, people haven't changed one bit. Right? I mean, there they are in the midst of the chaos. There's like all kinds of things that might look like fulfillment. And they're kind of like, hey, is this the time that, that you're going to fix everything in the world around us? 
And Jesus is like, no, no, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, they were looking on as he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Could you imagine what that must have been like? They're like, and he's, as he's talking, all of a sudden, it's like, is he moving? He's moving, he's raising, he's going, where's he going? And it's like, they're watching him, they're gazing up into heaven as they're seeing their, their risen Lord descending back and, and ascending back up into heaven. And while they were gazing into heaven as, they, as, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from heaven, from you into heaven. This same Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Wow, what an amazing scene that must have been like. But notice Jesus instructs them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's journey a little further into Acts chapter two. They listened to Jesus. It's a good thing they did. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The title of my message this morning is Since the Wind Has Blown. Since the Wind has blown. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What an incredible scene that must have been like. One moment they are together and they are praying, and it's like, you know what? It's getting a little drafty in here, and let's close the way there are no windows. All of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit comes upon the scene and lands upon them and then in them. And they begin to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And they left the upper room and they went into the streets because that's where the church belongs. And they take what just happened into the streets. And all were amazed in the streets and perplexed, saying to them, what does this mean? What's going on here? I mean, they're hearing them speak in other tongues of, of native languages, of all that was present there. I've had time this morning going to the specifics of that. But Others started mocking, saying they're drunk. They're just drunk. They're drinking new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and, and, and give ear to my words. And he says, these, these men are not drunk like you suppose, but these, this is the fulfillment of that which Job, Joel prophesied about in the last days. I'll pour about, out my, my, my flesh upon all people. And then Peter begins to preach the gospel. And this, this same one who cowered when asked by a young girl whether he knew Jesus. He boldly preaches the gospel in a way that he had never done before. Verse 41 says, those who received his word were baptized and there were 3,000 souls added to the kingdom that day. 3,000 
thousand people saved that day. Peter preached. The same Peter that ran away, the same Peter that questioned, the same Peter that denied his Lord three times. Now with fire in his bones, he boldly preaches the gospel and 3,000 souls are saved. What happened to Peter? The wind had blown. The Holy Spirit of God entered Peter and Peter who oftentimes was wearied running, on the, running a race on foot with men rose above it all and was now running with the horses doing what he was designed to do, empowered by the Spirit of God. And as he preached that message, 3,000 come to Christ. And Peter never looks back. And he soars toward his destiny in God. What happened in the book of Acts was a unique occurrence. Many have erred in suggesting that what the disciples experienced in Acts chapter 2 is to be experienced by every believer after their conversion. They call it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they suggest that every Christian after salvation must have an experience with the Holy Spirit like this in Acts chapter two that they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they use this passage to substantiate that. I used to believe that as well. Growing up in a Pentecostal church, that's what I was taught. Therefore, that's what I believed. Until I began to hold that teaching up in light of what all the other scripture teaches. And I discovered that the only place that we see this unique experience taking place is in the book of Acts. And it only happens about three to four times in the book of Acts. What do we make of that? We need to understand that the book of Acts is what is known as a transitional book. It is a unique period in the time of church history where we are transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It is a period of time where those who were present in Jerusalem obviously saw the, the fulfillment of the promise take place before them, but there was some time as you look through the book of Acts and you see the gospel getting out further and further, they're bringing this message of the coming of the Holy Spirit to people who didn't get it on Facebook or, or Instagram or phone calls or anything. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And so there's a period of time, there's a period of transition that this teaching is taking place only in the book of Acts. Nowhere else do we see what they call a second work of grace. The first being your salvation. Nowhere else in the scripture do we see this baptism of the spirit taught in scripture. In Acts chapter two, the church received all of the Holy Spirit because Christ ascended into heaven, just as Jesus said they would do in John chapter 14. In Acts chapter two, the focus was on the church getting all of the Holy Spirit. The rest of the New Testament focuses on the Holy Spirit getting all of the church. In Acts chapter two, the focus is on the church getting all of the Holy Spirit. 
As you get into the rest of the New Testament and you get into the pastoral epistles and you get into all the scripture has to say, the focus then is for the Holy Spirit to get all of the church. Now as born again believers, we have all of the Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of us. We still tend to want to be in control of our lives. We still want to revert back to some old ways of thinking that are contrary to this new nature. We still want to we still want to fit in the world. So I don't want to give God, I can't give God too much because that's going to be downright uncomfortable. So I can't give him all of me. We still want to engage in things that are, that are contrary to this, this new nature that we've been recipients of. And it hinders us from running with the horses the way God has designed for us to run. That's why as we move into the epistles, the instruction is to put to death our old ways. To put away those sinful desires that keep us from walking out the new life that Christ has for us. As we get into the scriptures all throughout the New Testament and, and, and it lays for us how a godly person is to live their life, what we ultimately see is instruction on how we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. That we die to ourselves so that the life of Christ might be lived out in us. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, the only way that that can happen is I got to surrender to God. Listen to what Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four and verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Think about that. I mean, that, that's, this is a, what, is, what does he mean here? The way we live our lives needs to change. We were walking in this direction before Christ and now we are to walk in this direction. We don't do the same things. We don't laugh at the same things. We don't engage in the same things. Why? Because they are contrary to our new nature. And if you're not sure, then just listen to what God is saying to you in your heart that discomfort you have on the inside is the Holy Spirit saying, that's not for you. That's not for you. That's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna keep you running the race on foot with men. He says they, they are, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have, become, and have given themselves up to sensuality, to practice every kind of impurity. Does that not look like we are walking in that today? That is our world today given over to sensuality, to greed, to every kind of impurity. But Paul says, but, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. 
you know better. That's what they are doing, and God will deal with that, but that's not what you learned. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You've been taught differently. You've experienced different. And so therefore, verse 22, put off your old self. What does that mean? Listen, at the moment that I gave my life to Christ, my position before God changed. I went from death to life, from darkness to light. But my ways, the way that I operate in my life, it takes some time. I've been living a certain way and thinking a certain way and doing a certain way. And it takes some time, some, some transformation, some sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit now causing our lifestyle to line up with our position. And it takes a lifelong journey. And God doesn't operate in the arena of guilt. That's not, that's not there to make us feel guilty. It's to make us aware that God has something better for us. And so it's to put off our old self. Don't live in a way that it's all about you anymore. That belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self. It's like it's the great exchange, right? The first great exchange took place at the cross. Our righteousness, which was not a righteousness at all, is exchanged with the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed into our life, and now we stand perfect before God. But now we see this other exchange takes place where we are to exchange our old self. And he says, put on now the new self. Wow, what does that look like? Does that look like the people I see at church? Does it look like, you know, no. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How in the world am I ever gonna figure that out? I will send a helper and he will be with you and he will be in you and he will guide you into all truth. You already have all the tools within you to fulfill what the scripture is calling us to do. Now I'm gonna jump into next week and then I'm gonna jump back into this week. You ready to get, get ready for a journey here? Next week we're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter five and verse 15 through 21. Here's what Paul says next. He says, look, look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the admonition, that's the charge, that's the remedy, that's the recipe for how we are able to put in motion that which is God, which God is calling us to do. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, Pastor, you just said that, that, that I already got the Holy Spirit. You're right. You received all the Holy Spirit at conversion, but the Holy Spirit didn't receive all of us. You see, we didn't turn over our old self and we've been walking in our old self too many times and it's keeping us from running with the horses. This, this, this word here, be filled, it's a verb. It, it, it literally means be being filled. 
You see, what my Pentecostal friends got right is that there needs to be an experience that we have with the Holy Spirit. Where we go up and, 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 and normally what, 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 what you'll be encouraged to do if you've been in a Pentecostal church, they'll be saying, just, just go up and just surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. And if our heart is honest and genuine before God, the Holy Spirit fills you but it's not that he is, he is coming into you in a more powerful way. It's that he is taking more over on the inside as you are relinquishing control of your life. And so what our Pentecostal friends will say is, listen, yes, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they will all say, it doesn't stop there though. After that, you need to continue to be being filled, just like we're saying here. Whereas I, I believe that, that that initial work is being filled with the Spirit. It's not a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when we are baptized into the body of Christ. But what they got right and what they experienced far more than what most Christians experience in the evangelical community, in all honesty, is an awareness of our need and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. In the evangelical community, many people have left the, the Pentecostal church because of all the extreme stuff. And I get it. I saw it. I was part of it. And I've seen it all. But you know what? Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What we need to realize is our dependence upon the Holy Spirit in being filled, in being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what God calls each and every one of us to do. Be being filled. Hey, listen, if you want, the first, you want to call the first one baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever. Hey, hey, the reality is we, we need to be filled. And the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be emptying ourselves of ourselves. And that takes intentionality. That takes commitment that takes more than just a moving service. It's a day-by-day -day decision that you say no to self and yes to God. I ask our worship team to come up at this time. What does that look like? I want to kind of, I want to take this from, we went from preaching to teaching to a classroom now. I just want to, what does that look like being filled with the Spirit? I, I, I can only tell you what it looks like in my own life. It's getting honest with what's going on on the inside. It's asking the Holy Spirit to search me. Asking the Holy Spirit to put his finger on areas in my life that really resemble me and not him. Asking the Holy Spirit to to, to show me ways in which I'm running the race on foot with men and getting distracted. Ways in which I'm reverting to my old way of thinking, my own protection mechanisms. Asking the Holy Spirit, are there areas that I'm not willing to forgive people for? Resentments that I'm not willing to let go? It's about surrender. And I, and I, and I ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to teach me and to make me aware of those things. Sometimes I'm embarrassed. 
Not that he makes me feel embarrassed, but I'm ashamed of thinking, God, I'm sorry, I I should know better. But then it's just, okay, God, this is my stuff. Forgive me. Empty me of me. And would you fill me with you? Would you give me everything that you have for me? It's not about emotionalism. It's about relationship. And sometimes we're so afraid of emotionalism that we miss the emotional connection that God desires for us to have with him. And so what I want to do this morning is to give you an opportunity just to respond. Because I can't imagine you're any different than I am. When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? To empty you of you? Now it's going to cost you something. That means you've got to let go of grudges. It means you might, might need to relinquish the control of some things. Newsflash, you're never in control anyway. But asking the Holy Spirit, would you just, would you just take over in my life? And then I'm just going to ask, would you, would, let's stand together and we're going to go into worship. And, 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 and as we're worshiping, I'm, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to do what I can never accomplish on my own. Would you just have a conversation with the Holy Spirit? Asking him, show me what's getting in the way so that I might fully surrender myself to you and fill me with yourself. Worship team, as you're leading us, I know that'll be your prayer as well. As your as your worship, let, let the song be the cry of your heart. And as God fills you, may it be pleasing to our God. Let's worship.